at the church. Hopefully you know him by now. Does anybody know how long he's been the pastor of this church? 35 years. Isn't that incredible? What an incredible gift. He's a tough man to surprise. He's impossible to surprise twice. We came up last service and surprised him in this moment. He thought he was coming up to preach an amazing sermon all on his own, and uh, here we are up here to thank him for his service. But I, I don't really have to say this, but it is incredible that somebody would be the pastor of one church for 35 years and give themselves so faithfully to his church family. Uh, no scandals, <laughs> no major issues as far as we know. And uh, <laughs> you still got a few more years to go. No, no it's, it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be great. But, my <laughs> but more than... Yeah, you still got, there's a chance, yeah. No, uh, but honestly, beyond that, he's been an incredible under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ, hasn't he? And so we are so grateful, we as uh, your underlings, your young pastors who you put up with so well, uh, we want to give this Bible to you, it's signed by all of us, just to say thank you for your faithfulness to the flock. And so, uh, can we just thank him for what he's done? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Would you, would you join me as we pray for Pastor Let's Mark? Let's reach out a hand and pray for this, this man here. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Pastor Mark. We thank you for his faithful presence to this congregation over the years. Jesus, you say that you are the good shepherd, and we thank you that you gave us the gift of a good under-shepherd to lead us, uh, to show us what it looks like to know and follow you. I'm so grateful for the gift that Mark has been in my life, in each of our lives up here, um, as we stand as pastors around him. And we know that it is because of the gifts that you've given him that we're able to be up here with him. So thank you, Father, for blessing us with this gift of a man. We thank you for the way that he's faithfully led our congregation, for the way that he's been a witness of your work here at Chapel Hill, but also in our community and in our presbytery and in our denomination. And I can't wait on the other side of eternity to see the many, many people that have a moment where they say that this man was part of their walk with you. This part, this man was part of their journey to know you more. So Father, we thank you. We pray that, you, pray that you'd continue to bless him, bless him as he brings your word to us today. And would you bless him with many, many more years of ministry in your service. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, I am I was more surprised the first time, still surprised that it kind of gets, chokes me up anyhow. Um, it is a lot easier to be the pastor of a church for a long time when you're the pastor of a sweetheart church. And you have been that to me. You and your predecessors, somehow you've carried on the culture, the, the mojo that makes it a, a sweet place to serve. You are a good people to lead, a good flock to lead, and... I am really honored and grateful for 
for the privilege of serving a sweetheart church. Other pastor colleagues of mine hear that that's my nickname for our church, and they'll say, I wish I could call my church my sweetheart church. I don't feel that way, but I feel that way, and I've always felt that way. So thank you for making it a delight to be with you for, oh, these many, many years. You guys, that sounds like the Stone Ages to you over there. It's 35 years. What's that? Did they have cars back then? But they did. Anyway, well, and, um, you know, John the Baptist had a nickname for his congregation, too. It wasn't, it wasn't quite as sweet. What, what was his nickname? Yeah, you brood of vipers, you poisonous ball of snakes. Um, I think mine's nicer. <laughs> but it turns out that John apparently wasn't too concerned about hurting people's feelings, which we will see as he continues in the rest of his sermon as we look at it this morning. We are making our way through a journey of the, the gospel of Luke. We've just gotten started in that journey, and, uh, and so I'm glad that you are back here to continue as we, uh, as we listen to the beloved physician talk about what he had learned about this, this man, Jesus. Last week I shared, by the way, about a snorkeling adventure. You remember when I was out snorkeling, I was suddenly, I was taken underwater by a creature that I didn't see coming, and it turns out it was a great big old dog who decided he wanted to play with me out in the water and near scared me to death. Well, there was a different kind of excitement that occurred in that same water. I, want, I spotted this and I took a picture of it. I wanted you to see it. See, can you see that in the distance? What's that look like to you? Yeah, show it a little closer. That was sitting out there, and it was miles and miles away, but it was very visible, very large, and frankly, it was a little ominous. And so I texted my good buddy, Daryl DeHaven, one of my life group pals, and he's pretty darn connected in the Navy. I said, okay, Daryl, what am I looking out at out here? And his quick text back to me said, doesn't look like one of ours. So, uh, as I, it sat there in the distance for about an hour, I couldn't help but think, okay, friend or foe? As the crowds were pouring into the wilderness around the Jordan River to listen to John the Baptist preach, I have to imagine once in a while they were saying to themselves, friend or foe? Because there were times when, well, he said stuff that didn't sound very friendly at all. And we're going to take a look at some of that today. So turn with me as I pick up my book, they, my new Bible, which has large font. Uh, <laughs> I, guess, I guess there's it. And it's very helpful, actually. I found myself less strained after the first service. So, wow, there it is, uh, just right there. So, <laughs> Luke, chapter, Luke chapter 3, starting with verse 15. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. 
Drop down to verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. As I said, we are journeying for, it'll be more than a year through the, the gospel of Luke. Luke has more to say about the Holy Spirit than any other gospel. Luke has more to say about prayer than any other gospel. Luke has more to say about the affirmation of women than any other gospel. Luke has more to say about the outsider and the poor and the, um, the ostracized of society than any other gospel. Here's another thing that, has, that Luke has more to say about than any other gospel, the lost. My daughter calls Luke the, the, the gospel of mercy. Luke is, is very concerned about the lost, and his theme verse, the centerpiece of his verse is found in chapter 19, verse 10. I want you to memorize that address. Say Luke 19.10. Say it. Luke 19. And here is the theme of Luke. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Say it with me. The Son of Man came to seek and to save. He did that for you. Aren't you glad the Son of Man came seeking you when you were lost and calling you to himself? So that is going to be our journey, a journey through a gospel that cares about the lost. And in the process, we have also launched what we're calling a, it'll be a one-year initiative called For the One. And our hope, our hope is that Luke's passion for lost people is contagious. Our hope is that a year from now, that every one of us will be at a place where we're praying for and are present to and are personally inviting at least one person into our church family, that we're sharing the good news that God loves the lost and is calling them to himself for the one. That's what we're about, and you're in the early stages of this. And on this Baptism Sunday, I want to take us back to the very first Baptist. John was his name. And he has something to teach us tongue-tied Presbyterians about how we might speak up about what Jesus has done for us and what he wants to do in the lives of those that we love. Perhaps my favorite, maybe the most ironic verse in today's passage is verse 18. Here's what it says. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. I've even put a smiley face beside that in my Bible because I find this very humorous. Because one might be tempted to say, good news? I don't hear a lot of good news in his preaching. This is the brood of vipers guy, remember? And now here comes another unsettling illustration. Did you hear this one? Yeah, exactly. So this is a pitchfork, of course. It's the closest thing I have to a winnowing fork. I love this device. I think I'm going to start bringing it to staff meetings. Uh, This is the closest thing we have to a winnowing fork. But even today, farmers around the world use a winnowing fork to separate the kernel of wheat from the chaff, from the the waste product. So they'll, they'll take large forkloads and they'll throw it into the air and the wind will blow the lighter chaff away and the grain will return to the ground. Now, this is a very vivid sermon illustration that John was using. 
And he was using it to talk about the ministry of the Messiah who he expected to show up at any minute. How he was going to separate the wheat from the chaff. And by the way, that's where this expression comes from, this parable. Those who receive him, we were told, those who receive his message, they're going to be gathered into the barn, his wheat, gathered in. But those who reject him and his message, they, they are the chaff that is going to be burned with unquenchable fire, according to the text. And honestly, that is a very disturbing image, isn't it? A disturbing image of judgment and death. And yet, the very next line is the one that says, that talks about this good news that John was preaching. And maybe it's just me, but somehow the images of hell, fire, and chaff burning in unquenchable fire doesn't sound like that good a news. Does it you? But my favorite commentator, Jim Edwards, puts it this way. He said, it is good news not because it's nice, That word never appears in the Bible. It's good news because it is true. And sometimes the hard and true news of the gospel is this. Every human being in our natural state is a rebel. Every single one of us is in our natural state a rebel. We are running away from God. And if that's what we want, by the way, then God confirms us in that choice. If we want to be separate from God, God says, fine, go ahead, have your way with it. But he is not happy about it, and he sent his son on a mission to retrieve us when we were still running away. That is the lostness that Luke is talking about, this tragic, stark, terrifying spiritual lostness from God from which he longs for us to be saved. We Presbyterians don't talk a lot about hell and fire and the such. I I think we sometimes fancy ourselves as a little too refined for that. But the possibility of eternal separation from our Heavenly Father, it is part of the gospel message. Again, hear hear me say this. Every human being left to our own devices is wandering away from God and on a disastrous path toward destruction. We need to be found. We need to be saved. And that is the good news. We have a Savior who has come to do exactly that. God sent His Son Jesus to interpose, to place Himself between us and our destruction, to scoop us up, if you will, like the shepherd scoops up the sheep and put us on our shoulder and carry us to a place of safety, to a place of salvation. That is the gospel. That is the message that we have to share with lost people who are running as far as they can away from God. That is our good news antidote to a world that is plenty full of bad, bad News. So the question this day and the question this year for us is going to be, how can we share that good news effectively? How can we help lost people realize their lostness and turn around? The literal word for that is repentance. That's what repentance means, to be going one way, to turn around and go the other way. How can we help people to do that? How do we share this message with that one that God might place upon our hearts so that they won't push themselves farther away from the God who loves them and longs to call them home. And I think that this morning's text suggests that there are at least two really important ingredients to these kind of conversations. Here's one, the Holy Spirit. Here's the other, 
humility. Nothing very original, but it just screams out of this passage. If you are going to be an announcer of the good news, like a John the Baptist to your friends, if you're going to be an announcer of the good news that the lost can be found, then you better be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you had better be filled with humility. So let's start with the Spirit. One of my life group brothers Two weeks ago when we were looking at this passage, he asked this really good question. Why did all these people come? Why in the world did these people come out to see John? If you've ever been with me to Israel, you know that the environment surrounding the Jordan is very inhospitable. It it would have required them to travel many, many miles in very harsh conditions. And then once they got there, the message was, as I've already mentioned, not exactly user-friendly. He was a rough unvarnished truth teller who would be willing to subject themselves to that indignity and why I think the answer can be found way back in chapter 1 of Luke we're going to look at Luke 1 and 2 in Advent but in chapter 1 the angel Gabriel announces the miraculous birth of John the Baptist to this old barren couple And in verse 1, 15, here's what Gabriel says about the child that she will give birth to. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will be filled from the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Beloved, there is something that is captivating, something that is compelling about a person who is clearly and completely owned by the Holy Spirit. When John spoke, it was as if God were speaking his words himself. He was so obviously an agent of the Lord. And the old-fashioned word we have for that is called unction. Say it. Unction. Unction. It's unction. It means an anointing. It means a pouring out of the Spirit. If you've ever heard Pastor Megan Hackman preach, he's our pastor at our, at our sister church in Port Orchard, you'll this, that, that comes to mind when I watch pa- uh, Megan preach. I've seen it happen again and again. She'll be going along, she's preaching away, and suddenly she just kind of kicks into Holy Spirit overdrive. There's just something that hits her, and that is the unction. I just know when it has come. And when that happens, you, she, she just becomes an instrument of the Lord, an agent through which the Holy Spirit is obviously speaking. The same thing can happen to you. When you surrender yourself to the Spirit, you can experience the unction of God. You can experience the outpouring of the Spirit upon your life. The reason that the crowds were so enthralled with John's tough message, and frankly in kind of a masochistic way, is that they had never heard anything like this before. They'd never heard preaching like this before. And you might say, well, why? Here's why. Because God had withdrawn the Holy Spirit for centuries. Did you know that? There were centuries when the Holy Spirit was not upon this earth. Perhaps it was God's frustration with the rebellion of his people, but with the closing words of the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, with his closing words, that was it. God went silent. There were no more prophets No more words from God. No more thus saith the Lord for 400 years, for four centuries. It was as if God were saying, you know, you guys, you don't want to do what I say. You don't want to listen to my words of life. You think you got it figured out. You want to go your own way. So have at it. 
See how you like it when you're not hearing from me on a regular basis. There was silence for more than four centuries, but only for a time. In fact, the very last words that Malachi spoke under the unction of the Spirit, the very last words we read in the Old Testament said that one day God would speak again. I love this verse. Behold, I will send you Elijah, God speaks through uh, Malachi. I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That was the last word. I'm going to send someone. One day I'm going to send them. He's going to turn fathers to their kids. He's going to turn kids to their fathers. Could we use more of those kinds of heart-turning moments? Could we use more of dads whose hearts are turned toward their children and children whose hearts are turned toward their, their fathers? You bet we could. And the guy who came to pronounce that was John the Baptist. He was the guy. He was the Elijah of whom Malachi spoke. He was the messenger sent from God, filled with his Holy Spirit from the moment he was born, ready to preach a message that would turn the hearts of fathers to their children and toward each other. And to save the land from the destruction that it was bound for. For the first time in 400 years, a Holy Spirit anointed prophet of God was speaking the word of God and the people could not get enough of it. I want you to notice this too. When Jesus baptized, was baptized in our text, after his 30 years of silent obedience in Nazareth, when Jesus was finally ready to begin his ministry, what was the first thing that happened to him? Why, the heavens are torn open. That's the way it's described. A rending, a ripping, as if the sky was torn apart. That must have been something to see. The heavens were torn open, and the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove, and a voice from heaven trumpeted the words of a loving Heavenly Father. Here's what he said. Sue ha huias mu ha agepetos. That's, that trumpet out of the heavens and it meant, you are the son of me, my beloved. And only then, with the filling of the Spirit and the blessing of his Father, was Jesus' ministry launched. Before Jesus could begin his earthly ministry, he had to receive the full power of the Holy Spirit. Before John could prepare the way for Jesus, he had to receive the full power of the Holy Spirit. And beloved, before you can be a seeker of what is lost, you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it is something that must happen again and again and again. Why? Because we leak, right? We've talked about this. We leak. We need the Spirit to come on us again and again and again. If your prayer life does not include you regularly saying these words, come Holy Spirit, then you are depriving yourself of the power that only the Spirit of God can provide. Come Holy Spirit. It ought to be a regular part of your prayer life because only under His unction, only by His power, only with His gifts... Can we ever speak the words of truth and hope and love and welcome that your lost friends need to hear? If you don't start here on your knees entreating the Holy Spirit to fill you, you will accomplish nothing. 
Historically, we Presbyterians have a rather strained and uncomfortable relationship with the Holy Spirit. We don't quite know what to do with the Spirit. Well, not this group of Presbyterians, not us Presbyterians. We welcome the Spirit. And so I would ask you, are you filled with the Holy Spirit this day? It is essential. And the other essential quality of a good news bearer is humility. Humility. I know I'm a broken record. How often do you hear me talk about humility? But it's because it's the heartbeat of the Bible. Humility may be more important quality ex except for love than any other quality. It is the bedrock uh, virtue of all ministry. Humility. You cannot minister well if you are not a humble person before the Lord. And you certainly see that in John's life. The people thought he was the guy. They thought he must be the Messiah. That's what the verse says. As the people were in expectation, all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. And it was a reasonable assumption after all, as I said. No one had spoken with this kind of power. No one had spoken with this kind of Holy Spirit unction in more than 400 years. Maybe this really was the Messiah, the long-awaited Christ. But when they said that, listen to John's hasty and passionate denial. Here's what he said. John answered them all saying, I just baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. This is a great offense in Middle Eastern culture. Did you know that? The sandal, the shoe, is a great offense in Middle Eastern culture because it is considered unclean. And of course, they are unclean, especially in some of those dirty roads and especially back then to, to talk about the sandal. I mean, the, the washing of feet was reserved for the lowest slave on the totem pole. And in fact, normally it was a non-Jewish slave if they had one. Even a, a Jewish slave wasn't required to touch the dirty feet of people. It was such an offense. And even today, you've seen it. Shoe throwing in the Middle East is like the ultimate insult. Like, all right, here we go, Daryl. I'm going to insult you now. There we go. That, that is, I just insulted Daryl completely. In John chapter 3, verse 30, the Baptist talked about his own relationship to Jesus. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. He says, I am not worthy of any of this. One of my favorite bumper stickers, and I'm not a huge bumper sticker fan, is, is this one. It's up there. I know it's coming. There it is. Can you translate it? He is greater than I. How many are saying, oh, that's what that means? Come on, admit it. Anybody? Yeah. Oh, now I get it. He is greater than I. John's Holy Spirit-inspired message was even more effective because he refused to be the center of attention. He was humble. But he wasn't the only one. So Jesus, which is even more astounding to me. I want you, now this is going to require a little, a little Bible work with you, but I want you to pay attention. I want you to notice something about Luke's account of Jesus' baptism. It is almost an afterthought. 
Luke's account of the baptism of Jesus is almost an aside. Here, here is how he does it. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, that's it. What we would assume is the high point of the passage, the baptism of Jesus, is barely mentioned. For you English scholars, it's a past participle. The actual Greek said, Jesus, having been baptized, oh yeah. Luke intends that the first part of that sentence stand out. He says, now, when all the people were baptized. In Luke's account, Jesus isn't the star of this baptism. He is one of the crowd. He is mentioned secondarily. It is within the community of faith that Jesus, too, is baptized. That's pretty amazing. In December, December 2nd of 1804, Napoleon Bonaparte stood in Notre Dame Cathedral ready to be crowned as emperor. But at the last moment, Napoleon snatched the crown from the Pope and crowned himself because he didn't think anyone else worthy of the honor. If there was ever anyone who was worthy to baptize himself, it was Jesus Instead, he submitted himself to be baptized by the guy who said, I am not even worth untying his filthy sandals. And we might wonder why. If baptism is for the forgiveness of sins, and Jesus was sinless, and he was, then why was he baptized at all? I want you to get this. It is precisely because of what this text brings out. He was baptized to identify with the people he had come to save to identify with those who were lost and needed to be found. There's a sense in which Jesus was baptized vicariously for all of us. When the eternal, sinless Son of God was baptized, just like the rest of the crowd, it was an act of unbelievable, divine humility. Baptism is humbling. It is something that is done to you. You can't do it yourself. It takes you down backwards in a very helpless state and then brings you back up again. You come up drenched. And who looks their best in that state? But it is also a powerful symbol of humility. The humility modeled for us by our Savior. It is a symbol of going down into the grave and being raised to life. It is a symbol of being washed from our sins. It is a symbol of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is a symbol of submission to the Lord, but also to the church. We submit ourselves to the community of this church in this act, in this sacrament. It is a sign, it is a seal of our salvation where we declare we were once lost, but we have now been found. So Holy Spirit... And humility, pretty basic, but they are essential ingredients for our salvation. They're also essential ingredients for our witness, for our witness. And this morning, it is our privilege to share in this ancient sacrament as we welcome those who were once lost but have now been found into the family of God. I'm going to pray in just a moment. There might be some of you this day who would say, I've never been baptized, and I'm not even sure whether I'm the wheat or the chaff. Well, it is a very simple thing to to make that that change, to make that course correction. It's just...
pray and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. So I'm going to offer that prayer. And following the prayer, there will be a song. It will be your opportunity. If as you are sitting here, you, you feel compelled to be baptized, you want to profess your faith in Jesus, then you can get up and you can go right around the corner to where Pastor Rachel mentioned. And there will be elders there ready and you can join right in with the crowd following this message. So I encourage you to do that and invite all of us now to close our eyes and pray the Holy Spirit upon us in a new and powerful way. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you that you came to seek us and to save us. Thank you that we Though we were lost, though we were running our way from you, we were nibbling our way into lostness like a stupid sheep, you loved us and you tracked us down and you called us to be your own. You give us the privilege of responding. You give us the opportunity to say yes or no, but your eternal invitation to us is yes, please come. And so, Father, I, right now, I, I pray that you will stir by your Holy Spirit in the hearts of those who have never been baptized in the hearts of those who have never professed their faith in Jesus, who have never admitted, I need to be saved. I want Jesus' salvation for myself. And if that is you, I invite you to just to pray the simple three-word prayer. Sorry, thanks, and please. Just pray this after me. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Father, that I have run from you, that I have been in rebellion against you. I'm so sorry for that. Will you forgive me? And thank you, thank you, Jesus, that you didn't leave me in this state. You came looking for me. You came seeking me. Thank you, Jesus, that you died to save me because I matter to you. And please, Holy Spirit, would you come into my life right now? I want to be your child. I want to be washed clean. I want to be found. So Holy Spirit, would you please come into me right now? If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, and you want to be baptized, when this prayer is done, you can make your way to the, to the gathering place and talk with the elders there. For the rest of us, we need a, a, a prayer of, of refilling. So let's continue in prayer. Holy Spirit, those of us who already know you and love you, we still don't have the voice to speak for you. We're still not courageous enough in the way that we live for you. We still seem to not care for the loss that you care for. So that means we need more of you. So right now, Holy Spirit, we pray that prayer again. Come, Holy Spirit. Pray that with me. Come, Holy Spirit. Pray with me again. Come, Holy Spirit. One more time. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill me anew. Make me your agent, your divinely inspired messenger that I might share the incredible news of your salvation with those who need it. For we pray these things in Jesus' name.
Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10.30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.